This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in a series right now in the book of Acts, God's Power, Global Impact. And you can't turn a page in the book of Acts without your attention being drawn to the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he is building his church, though the enemy, the forces of Satan are doing all they can to try to stop God's work. And so we're going to hear those testimonies, but we're also going to look at the testimony, the written testimony of a man named Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul the Apostle. Now, we don't have his written testimony here in Acts. He actually had a good friend who was a medical doctor, uh, a Greek doctor by the name of Luke, who traveled with him. And Luke is the one that the Lord used to give us this important book under inspiration. And so this is from God. The Holy Spirit gave us this book as he used Dr. Luke. We have been studying this book. And we move from the Holy Spirit directing, directly leading Philip, who was a deacon, became an evangelist, chapter 8, uh, to go and be with an Ethiopian government official who had been in Jerusalem worshiping. He's back to, heading back to his home country. And the Lord leads Philip down there to meet this man and share the gospel with him. Well, when they meet, he finds out uh, he sees, this man is up in his chariot, he sees that he's reading from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus. Now, after this man testified through baptism that he had received Jesus as his Savior, he had already declared, he had already been saved, but now uh, he is baptized. And as soon as Philip baptizes him, they come up out of the water, reminding us that baptism is immersion, that is the only form of baptism that pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anything else comes from church tradition, not truth. And so he comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit catches Philip away. In other words, this missionary uh, got, a, got a, a plane ticket. Not a plane, but, but he, got, he got transported just north of the city of Gaza, and he now makes his way up to uh, Caesarea, which is by the sea, a Roman city uh, in that time. And we shared, I think Philip was in fact uh, witnessing and rejoicing all the way up to Caesarea. There's nothing more exciting than to respond to the Spirit's leading by faith and to see him work. And that's what Philip is, is in the middle of at that point in chapter 8. We've seen the Holy Spirit's mighty work. This morning we're going to watch as the Lord, for his glory, takes down the greatest opponent that he had at this time, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Aren't you glad that the Lord can not only save, but the Lord can save us from those who are persecutors. In fact, he can save them. That's what the scripture teaches us. There's nothing too great for the Lord. 
And so look at chapter 9, verse 1. I'm just going to share the testimony comment, and we're going to be done shortly. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and, what's the next word? Slaughter. Do you think the Holy Spirit put that there on purpose? Yes, because that's exactly what was happening. One commentator said this, Threatening and murder were the atmosphere in which Saul lived. For the church, he was enemy number one if you lived around Jerusalem. Another uh, Bible teacher said this, every word he breathed was dangerous. He breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He went unto the high priest... These are the same ones, the high priests leading uh, the uh, Sanhedrin. He, they're trying to suppress and put down what the Lord is doing. People are being saved. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teaching about the way. And we're going to see that a little bit uh, further here in the text. They're trying to stamp it out, but they can't. It's spreading it everywhere. And so Saul goes to the high priest and desired of him letters. All right, these are giving him legal sanction to go to Damascus. All right, this, this is outside of uh, where, uh, from a government standpoint, they can be. But synagogues in that region were still considered to be under the authority of the high priest to go to the synagogues. And if he had found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them uh, bound unto Jerusalem. Now let's back up and look at verse 2 a little bit more closely. Why would he go to the synagogues? We're going to see a pattern throughout the book of Acts. Those who were scattered, those who went out as missionaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ, where would we find them? Later, Paul himself first place they'd go is to the synagogues. Why? Because it was in those synagogues all across the Roman Empire that there were Jews who had some foundation. They were all looking for a coming Messiah. So they would go there and they would begin to proclaim, He's come! You don't have to keep looking. He came! His work was complete! He went to the cross for us, died, rose again! And so... Saul knows if I go to Damascus to the synagogue, I'm going to find these people of the way there too. And his goal was to arrest them and bring them back. You'll notice in verse 2, if he found any of this way. The Greek literally is of the way. You'll remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so those who had heard that teaching and were ridiculing these little Christ, these Christians, they would begin to refer to them. And then Christians adopted and said, well, that's true. We are people of the way. So he was looking for people of the way so that he could arrest them, whether they were men or women, bring them back to Jerusalem. And again, thinking back to verse 1, why would he want to bring, bring them back to Jerusalem? For slaughter. And we know this was not a fair court. Look what they had done to Jesus. Look what they had, were doing to the apostles. Okay, So if you got arrested, you were not guaranteed a fair trial. 
These guys were not objective. If you had any testimony for Christ, and let me just insert here, where would the testimony come from? You could profess Christ and keep it secret. You could not profess Christ and keep it secret, listen, if you were baptized. So that became part of the equation as well. Verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Now let's talk about this light for a moment. Paul would later say to King Agrippa in Acts 26, 13, that this light was brighter than the sun at noonday. That's bright. If you're outside at noon and the sun is shining in all its glory, don't look up and stare at it. It'll do damage to your eyes. But can you imagine something that's brighter than that sun? Do you know that there is something, and it's called the glory of God. And when that light shone, verse 4 says, he, Saul, fell to the earth. Again, back in chapter 26 and verse 13, Paul will say that his companions were, were uh, in that light as well, and they also fell to the ground. So soldiers, anyone accompanying Saul, they went down as well. This isn't the first time we've seen this, though. This reminds us of the soldiers outside Jesus' tomb. You remember? They were outside there to keep, keep anything from happening, keep Jesus dead, keep the disciples away. There was an earthquake, but that earthquake shook the whole city. It wasn't the earthquake that dropped these guys. What was it? When that stone rolled away, the glory of Jesus as he exited that tomb, it hit them, and it dropped them like dead men. didn't kill them, but they'll never forget that day. You can't remain on your feet in the presence of God's full glory. You just can't. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9 reveals that Paul actually saw the Lord that day. You may want to make a note of that. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9. He said, I saw Jesus. In fact, it was so bright and so brilliant that that took away for three days Saul's sight. Physical eyes couldn't handle it. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 5, and he said, who art thou? What's the next word? Who are you, Lord, capital L? This is an admission. You are who you say you are. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now Saul of Tarsus came to two starting, startling realizations that day. First, Jesus of Nazareth was truly alive. So when, when, that, when he looked and saw that glory, it not only blinded him, but he saw Jesus. Jesus' followers had been preaching that he was alive. We've already seen this three different times in Acts. Though the religious leaders denied it, and they paid off soldiers to tell lies about it, Jesus was alive, and now Saul knows it. Not only that, Saul discovered he was a lost sinner in danger of judgment. Well, how do we know that? Warren Wiersbe said this, quote, Saul thought he had been serving God when in reality he had been persecuting the Messiah. 
There was no denying the resurrection of the crucified Lord and that Saul's own self-righteousness, I'm doing this for God, his own self-righteousness was worthless rebellion in the Lord's eyes. So not only did the Lord knock him down physically, the Lord knocked him down spiritually, emotionally to see what he really was. Now look back at verse 5. The Lord asked him this question. Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? The word prick speaks of a cattle goad. Right? Saul had been kicking against the Lord's efforts. But what were the Lord's efforts specifically in Saul's life? And this is wonderful. Please catch this. The Lord was prodding Saul through conviction to try to get him into the way everlasting. Well, but he was persecuting the church. He was putting Christians to death, and Jesus wanted to save him. You know, this zeal would make him a great missionary, and it did. But you can't be a great missionary if you're spiritually blind, and so the Lord works in his life, even gives him physical blindness. For three days, the only thing Saul will remember is, I saw Jesus. He's alive, I'm a sinner, and now he's my Savior. Saul even heard Stephen's testimony before the Sanhedrin. And at that point, it made him mad, but God used it to work in his heart. Verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said back to the Lord, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, these things happen pretty quickly. Again, I'm, I'm sharing with you Saul's testimony. Saul now not only believed Jesus was Messiah and risen Lord, not only did he come to know his own sinfulness, but now his converted heart responds like every truly converted heart. If you're here today and you know Jesus is Savior, the Lord has done this in your heart. When you get saved, you want to tell somebody. You're interested now in what God would have you to do, and your spirit, your attitude is, Lord, what will you have me to do? I've talked to people that say, oh, yeah, I'm saved. But there's not a single inkling of anything in their life where they have any desire to do what God wants. I question whether they really know the Lord. Now, you can know the Lord, get away from the Lord, not have a heart to do his will. But if you're genuinely saved, one of the first proofs of that, one of the things that the Spirit bears witness to in your life is the fact you're willing to serve the Lord and do anything he wants you to do. Here's proof from an arch enemy of the gospel. And notice what the Lord says to him. Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Do you realize that this is showing us God already had a plan for Saul? God's not making this up as he goes. The Lord is not trying to decide, oh, Saul got saved. Hmm, wonder what I'll have him do. Now, he's already got a plan. And when Saul gets into the city and meets a disciple named Ananias who will disciple him, uh, in that time the Lord will also say, all right, here's, here's what I've called you to do. Now, here's a side note, verse 7. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And watched, Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. 
And he was three days without sight. Again, I think just praying and contemplating what just happened. I saw not only the glory of the Lord, I saw the Lord. He spoke to me. Everything these Christians have been saying, it's absolutely true. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering if any of this is true, I just shared with you the testimony of an enemy who hated Christianity. God convinced him. What might it take to convince you? Well, I'm religious. So was Saul, but he was lost. What might it take for God to convince you? By the way, he loves you enough just like he loved Saul. He's going to draw you to himself. Why don't you just surrender your heart, acknowledge that you're a sinner, and receive Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Lord, as your Savior. Now we're going to be able to come back to this text and look at it. But if you go down to verse 18, Paul's testimony isn't done. I love this. Verse 18, notice it. And immediately there fell from his eyes uh, as uh, it had been scaled. So God gives him his physical sight back. And part of that is because he needs to see what he needs to do next. He's already committed to it in his heart, but he needs to be able to see. He received his sight forthwith and arose. And what, what's the next three words? And was baptized. He publicly declared, I have placed my trust in Jesus, the Messiah. Now, right after this, you're going to find out that there were other religious leaders in Damascus that find out about this, and immediately they purpose, they're going to kill Saul now. You say, well, I... I, I I, uh, I want the world to like me, and I'm going I'm to do it the way they say. No, no, if you turn your life to Jesus, they don't care about you. Saul learned that really fast. But none of that matters because all of this is temporary. You need to be ready for eternity. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so Ananias had discipled him in those days. There, there was just that quick time. We find right after this, Saul will go out. He'll begin to proclaim from his baptism and then what he preaches in Damascus, the Lord, and they, they want to end his life. He escapes, and we'll get to see that as well. But this is his testimony. Let me close with this. Philippians 3 and verse 12, Paul will refer to what happened on the road to Damascus as this. Being apprehended of Christ. Do you know what happened on the road to, to Damascus? He was going to arrest people, and instead he got arrested. Isn't that great? He's going, he's going to arrest people, and the Lord says, I've got plans for you, fella. He arrested him. He made him his own child, washed him clean, made him part of the family of God, truly, a true son of Abraham. And then set him on a course to become, after the Lord Jesus, the greatest missionary that ever lived. And you've gotten to hear now a tenth baptism testimony this morning. 
Let me just say, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, now is the accepted time. Now is the day for you to be saved. This testimony ought to persuade you. Not with many, they're persuaded by just hearing the word of God, seeing what Jesus did for them. With some others, God has to take some extra steps to draw them to himself, but he loves you so much. He not only sent his son to die for you, but he loves you so much. He'll, he'll let your world become unsteady, uneasy, because he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. If you don't know Christ as Savior, may today be the day that you give your heart to him. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for allowing us to see in story form Saul's salvation testimony. His story, how you brought him to yourself. What a powerful account. And then, Lord, he publicly testified to everyone that he had just been saved. And then he was baptized. Thank you for those this morning that are going to follow you in baptism. Would you use their testimonies today to draw anyone here who may be trusting good works, religion, a moral life, any of that uh, to get them to heaven. Lord, would you please help them to see that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If there was any other way, Lord, you didn't need to come and die on a cross. There was no other way, and thank you for coming. Now, Lord, use these testimonies, and would you draw souls to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.